Okay, let's read from verse 20 to 33. See, I am sending an angel ahead of you to guard you along the way and to bring you to him and to listen to what he says. Do not rebel against him. He will not forgive your rebellion since my name is in him. If you listen carefully to what he says and do all what all that I say, I will be an enemy to your enemies and will oppose those who oppose you. My angel will go ahead of you and bring you into the land of the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, Canaanites, Hivites, and Jubezuites. And I will wipe them out. Do not bow down before their God and will worship them or follow their, their practices. You must abolish them and break their sacred stones to pieces. Worship the Lord your God and his blessing will be on your food and water. I will take away sicknesses from among you and none will miscarry or be barren in your land. I will give you a full lifespan. I will send my terror ahead of you and throw into confusion every nation you encounter. I will make all your enemies turn their backs and run. I will send their hornet ahead of you to drive the Hivites, Canaanites and Hittites out of their, out of your way. But I will not drive them out in a single year because the land will become desolate and the wild animals too numerous for you. Little by little, I will drive them out before you until you have increased enough to take possession of the land. I will establish your borders from the Red Sea to the Sea of the Philistines and from the river, from the desert to the river. I will hand over to you the people who live in the land and you will drive them out before you. Do not make a covenant with them or with their gods. Do not let them live in your land or they will cause you to sin against me because the worship of their gods will be certainly be a snare to you. We've never met before. My name's Matt, and it's a privilege to be opening up God's Word with you this morning. If you've got a Bible, please keep it open there. That would be fantastic. Uh, we're going to be um, doing something a little bit different just with that uh, Bible passage that we had read. We're actually not going to look at it until right at the end. So uh, we're going to do a little bit of flicking around, and I'll have some the Bible verses up on the screen just to get a bit of a picture of uh, what that passage is is about and where it's heading. So a little bit different this morning as we look at uh, that section. The section that leads up before it is called uh, the Book of the Covenant or just the Book of the Law. So uh, the laws that were given to God's people in the Old Testament, Israel. So keep your Bibles open there. There's a, um, an outline in your bulletin if you find that helpful to follow along as well. How about we, uh, we pray though before we look at God's, at God's Word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that uh, it's living and active, uh, that it cuts us deep uh, to the bone, it cuts us uh, into our souls and into our hearts and into our minds. Father, we pray this morning as we uh, look at your word and uh, think about what you've done for us through your son Jesus, that we'll be changed to live lives that give honour to you Lives that love you and lives that love others. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Uh, this week, this week, I, I went on a bit of a search to uh, find some things about the way that uh, people think that God saves. And what I found was a bunch of sayings that uh, you'd probably see on T-shirts or uh, church signs out the front of, of church buildings and that kind of thing, uh, just to grab your attention. And they're sayings on God saves. So here's some of the ones that I've found. God saves, I spend. God saves, no coupons required. God saves, but not a lot given the current economic climate. Uh, God save, please all the queens. <laughs> uh, God saves, this is appropriate for Exodus, passes the Moses, he shoots his scores. And one for the New Zealanders amongst us, God saves, bro. And uh, maybe you feel this one sometimes, God save me, please. From your followers, a couple of uh, couple of cheesy ones in there, a couple of dad jokes, but that's okay. I'm a dad; I'm allowed to make dad jokes. God saves. It's one of those church slogans that you've probably heard before. Maybe it's something that you've actually said before as a Christian. God has saved me, but what does it actually mean? Uh, because it does seem like a bit of an unfinished sentence, doesn't it? And it does invite people to finish it with something. God saves, but for what? And if God does save, well, what happens next? Maybe it looks like God saves people to become Ned Flanders type do-gooders or maybe religious bigots. Or God saves to give you a great sense of inner peace so that you can be at rest within yourself. You see, maybe you know that you're saved by God but aren't really sure what for. And it's like God has kind of plonked us down onto a life raft and then we're kind of looking around going... Now what? God saves. Now as we return to the book of Exodus this morning, we want to think about how God saves and how he saves, how he has saved us, how God is saving us and how God will save us. So you can almost break that into past, present, future. And we'll think about the way that God saves us as we look at the story of the nation of Israel, God's people in the Old Testament, a people that we've just read have been saved. God has saved his people. They've been saved by God. And really their story is one that began centuries ago uh, with promises made by God that one day this people that we read about in Exodus would be a great nation. It was a promise that they'd have their own patch of dirt to call home and a promise that God would look after them. And so uh, here it is in Genesis 12. This is the promises, if you remember, that God makes. He says there, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So far this promise to bless Israel and to set them up is is going all right in Exodus now, isn't it? Uh, God has saved them out of slavery in Egypt. God has saved them out of a place where they were treated harshly, a place where they were a long way from the blessings of God. But now God's saved them out of that and they're trundling through the desert towards their patch of dirt and all the blessings that God promises there. And as we heard last week, since being saved, they've pulled up at a mountain in the desert called Mount Sinai and at this stopover, something big happens, something really great. For the first time, God speaks to his people. Prior to this point, God has been speaking through Moses, but now the God of the universe speaks to all of them. Uh, the, apparently the going rate for uh, former President Bill Clinton to speak at, at an event for you is uh, 19 and a, uh, a half 
$19,500. And he charges that per minute. Uh, that'd be a few thousand dollars, uh, you know, since I've been speaking this morning. Wouldn't that be great? $19,500 per minute. But can you imagine, not President Clinton, but the God of the universe coming down and speaking to his people. And here God tells them some important stuff, info that they'll need for uh, the next part of their journey. Firstly, he reminds them that they've been saved, that they're already his. God has saved them not because they are some you know, amazingly good-looking people or that they had some really strong morals or that they even deserve saving. God says he saved them in keeping with his commitment, those promises to, his ancestor, uh, to their ancestors. You see, it's all a free gift from God. And back in uh, chapter 19, as we've heard, uh, this is what it says. Moses went up to God and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, this is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob. Okay, that's the great ancestors. And what you, to, uh, what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. You see, before God gives the Ten Commandments, And before God gives the book of the covenant, the book of the law at this point, God wants it to be clear that they're already his people. He has already saved them. He saved them out of slavery and then he gives the Ten Commandments and all those laws. And this is something I think uh, we need to get our heads clear about God. God saves before he expects anything from his people. And as we heard last week, it's not, you know, Keep this commandment, keep this commandment, keep this commandment, keep this commandment, and then you'll be saved. It's You've already been saved into a relationship with God, so here's what it looks like to now live in that relationship. Here's what it looks like to live as God's treasured possession. And it's kind of a little bit like that for us and our relationship with God. It's a little bit like it, but it's different as well. And it's important for us to get our heads around because really if you get this wrong, you get God wrong. If this is the only thing that you remember this morning, if you're someone that trusts in Jesus or even someone that uh, hasn't yet put trust in Jesus, please remember this. What we've got to see here is that just like God's Old Testament people, God doesn't save us, you and me, out of slavery, out of our slavery to sin and death, our slavery of a broken relationship with God and the consequences of that. He doesn't save us because we deserve it. God doesn't save us because we're some morally amazing people. God expects nothing of us except to take up the free gifts of relationship through the death and resurrection of his son Jesus. And at this point you think, yeah, 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 okay, yeah. Yeah, of course, it's a free gift. I trust in Jesus, he saved me. But now as I trust in Jesus, then surely that means I've got to follow the Ten Commandments and the laws in the Old Testament as well. How else else am I going to know how to live for God? It's easy to think that, isn't it? It's easy to think the Ten Commandments, the Book of the Covenant, or the laws, it's in the Bible, right? must be there for a reason. Surely for us, after we trust in Jesus, or then, that means that we've got to follow these laws. I mean, Jesus said the greatest commandment is to love God and love others. And as we heard last week, that's roughly how the Ten Commandments divide, to love God and to love others. And then the following two chapters after the Ten Commandments, so chapter 21 to 23, uh, it's called the Book of the Covenant, the Book of the Law. And really, all those laws that you can read about are an application of what's already been said in the Ten Commandments. Okay? All the laws are an application of what's been said in the Ten Commandments about loving God and loving others. 
It's just a whole bunch of different contexts. Uh, if you've got a Bible there, you can skim through the pages. Uh, there are laws on slavery, you'll see, uh, the headings. Uh, slaves back then were more like employees in a business. You might feel like a slave for your job. Uh, the slave was there uh, to, to help and to be an employee to uh, the master. And so the law, look after your slaves, was, was there so that the slaves wouldn't be abused. You see, love others. Uh, there's laws there on personal injury, like not murdering. And God's saying how valuable human life is. Uh, there's laws on property, like not stealing. And so you can go through, we're not going to go through all of them now, because if we did, um, it'd just be like, what is this? And we probably wouldn't get out until midnight. We, we'd be thinking about, what are these laws saying? How are they about loving God and loving others? And you can go through and see how they're an application of the Ten Commandments. But I think now as we read these, our first instinct probably is something along the lines of, well, what good things are they telling me to do? It's easily done, isn't it? But this, but this morning, we need to forget that because what God speaks in Exodus 20, he doesn't primarily speak to us. You see, we're this side of Jesus. We've got to remember we're no longer under the Old Testament law. And other parts of the New Testament make it clear that the old law has done away with. This, this law in Exodus has been done away with. God never gave the Ten Commandments to us. God never gave the Old Testament laws to us. These are words from Israel's saviour to Israel, God's people in the Old Testament. And really, unless one of those laws are reaffirmed in the New Testament, well, we don't need to feel the force of them. Sure, the, the general principle is still there, definitely. Love God, love others. But we have a better way now. You see, we've got to remember that the Bible's written in an historical place and an historical time. And really taking these words straight out of here from the Old Testament to us would really be like uh, taking the, the Brisbane Broncos team song and the Cronulla Sharks singing it. It's just both wrong and confusing. I just wouldn't know what was going on there. You see, if, if we say being a Christian is trusting in Jesus but then also following the Ten Commandments, well, it's not treating the free gift of relationship found in Jesus as a free gift. It becomes more of a Jesus, or then plus this and this and this and this. You see? Ultimately, we need to consider who Jesus uh, is, who he has saved us to be, and how it is that we're being saved, this side of Jesus. And so from Exodus... We get a picture of the way that God was saving uh, the Israelites to be. And this is back uh, in verse 5 of chapter 19. This is the picture of the way God was saving the Israelites to be. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. You see... God was laying the foundations for Israel to be a nation that would show everyone what God is like. But there was a problem, and we'll get to that later on as we look through the book of Exodus. In just a few months from this point, Israel will make an idol. They'll just make a statue and start to worship that as God. They'll start to dishonour God. They won't love God. And they'll start to dishonour each other. They don't love others. You see, God has saved his people to be a holy nation, a nation that's set apart 
to be God's treasured possession, to be a people who live out their relationship with God. And he's given them every word they need to enjoy him and each other. But yet they put it back in his face and the nations around them start laughing at them and start laughing at God. But God sticks to his promise that blessing will be poured out to all nations and he provides something better than Israel. Well, we know it's not something but someone. One whose every breath and every thought honoured God. One who does the job of Israel by fully obeying his Father God. One who committed no sin, who no deceit was found in his mouth. One who died to offer free forgiveness before God. The one and only Son of God, Jesus. And for us, this side of Jesus' life and death and, and resurrection... The Bible tells us that we, you and me, are saved by Jesus, that that us, that we, are saved by Jesus to be God's holy people. Uh, When you flick through the New Testament, this is how Peter describes it in 1 Peter 2, verse 9. You, talking to Christians that believe and trust in Jesus, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, that's the nation set apart by God, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praise of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. You see, where to be a holy nation, a people set apart belonging to God, to show Jesus to the world. That's us now. That's who we are to be. Often I ask the question at school, just because I'm curious, um, to... Uh, the students in high school, what do you want to be when you grow up? I love asking that question because you get all kinds of different uh, answers. The recent one was I want to be a crash test dummy for an uh, aeroplane injector seat or something like that. Okay, go for it, mate. It's a good aspiration. Uh, Love asking that question. Some just say, I want to be a a hairdresser. Uh, I've got a confession to make to you. Uh, When I was growing up, shouldn't do this. Uh, when I was growing up, uh, I wanted to play for the Socceroos, uh, Australian soccer team, and um, I wanted to have hair like John Farnham. Okay, there it is. John Farnham was popular back then, and I liked him. Long blonde hair. He doesn't have hair now, but he had long blonde hair back then, so I was like, I'd be some kind of Farnsy playing soccer. That'd be pretty good. Um, I don't know, what do you want to be when you grow up? I'm sure you've asked that question and heard that question before. What we get from the Bible about who God wants us to be when we grow up as his chosen people is to be like Jesus. It's to be like Jesus, to show Jesus to the world. And if Exodus gives us a picture of God saving Israel to be his people, giving them the law so they live as his treasured possession... If if Exodus gives us a picture that through Israel other nations would see what it was like to live in a relationship with God, then the New Testament clearly says to us, to you and to me, if our trust is in Jesus, we've been saved to be a people set apart to live for God. You see? Saved by Christ to be his people and to show the world Jesus. God saves us for the plan that he's had all along, to build a nation that shows God to the whole world, to build a Christian nation to show God to all the nations of the earth, a plan that was always about pointing every eye to the Lord Jesus. 
I don't know how you go with uh, making plans. Um, I, I kind of don't do it enough, but I, I like making plans. And often when I make a plan, say this is something trivial, like, oh, I'd like to go and watch a movie tonight. If that plan gets changed, well, then I get cranky and frustrated and often become stubborn because I want to see this plan go through. Jasmine usually tells me, just forget about it. You're not going to the movies. That's what happens with my plans and the plans that I make. But you see, for God's plan, that was always his plan. It was always there to point every eye to the risen Lord Jesus. And when you get saved into God's nation, when you trust in Jesus, well, it's no longer defined now by land, uh, like in Jerusalem or the Ten Commandments. This community is now defined by those forgiven by Jesus. It's not defined by uh, just God living with us, uh, like it was for the Old Testament people Israel, and going ahead of us. But it's actually now God living in us through the Holy Spirit. You see, as people who are set apart by God, the Spirit is saving us each day from our sinful selves. And He's saving us to be more like Jesus. That's a crazy thought, isn't it? That unlike God's Old Testament people Israel, that God was with them, God is actually living in us and changing us. We are being saved each day from ourselves, being saved to be more like Jesus. Yes, the good news of Jesus is, is about a past event, that Jesus lived and died and rose again so that we'd be brought into a relationship with God. But the good news for the present is that God continues to change us. God continues to change us to be more like Jesus. And you see, it's the Holy Spirit who points us to Jesus whenever we open his, God's word. And it's the Holy Spirit that points us to Jesus and says, be more like him. Show him to the world. See, we've got a really clear mission here. Right now, God is laying it out for us as God's people who are being changed by the Spirit, who are being saved from our sinful selves each day. Our mission is to work together and point others to Jesus. Now, if God has saved us into a relationship with him, uh, if we are saved to be God's people and if we are being saved as his people through the work of the Holy Spirit, then what we can know for sure what we can know for sure and for certain now is that God will save us. And so that brings us back to the Bible reading that we heard at the start. You see, for Israel, God promised as they live in a relationship with him that he'd prepare the way for them to the land. Uh, if you've got your Bible, obviously it's not there at the moment. If you've got your Bible there, uh, that's the Bible reading that we had from Exodus chapter 23. And this is what it says from verse 1. Uh, sorry, from verse 20. So chapter 23, verse 20. This is God preparing the way for Israel to be saved, that they will be saved. See, I am sending an angel ahead of you to guard you along the way and bring you to the place I have prepared. Pay attention to him. Listen to what he says do not rebel against him. He will not forgive your rebellion since my name is in him. If you listen carefully to what he says and do all that I say, I'll be an enemy to your enemies and will oppose those who oppose you. My angel will go ahead of you and bring you into the land. Now, through Exodus, uh, this angel of God has actually been part of the story previously. Uh, when Israel are led by a cloud by day, it talks about the angel being there, moving at the same time. And you can go back and have a look at it at Exodus chapter 14 sometime. 
And really what you see with this angel is that it's all part of God's presence with his people to help them get to their final goal. And again, we need to remember that this is what happened for Israel. But you see, for us, we have something greater, don't we? We have Jesus. You see, just like the angel, well, Jesus is our guardian and our guide. Like the angel, Jesus speaks to us with all authority of God. Like the angel, Jesus bears God's name as the Son of God. You see, for us, for you and for me, who trust in Jesus, we actually have a better promise and we will receive a better promised land. So are you ready for that? And do you long for that? Do you, do you savour that certainty that God will keep his promise and lead you into his eternal promised land? Not defined now by some borders uh, around Israel, but an eternal place. God's promised land for us. I saw a survey uh, recently that found in the States, 95% of kids say they have learned the most about saving and spending money from their parents. Uh, When parents act as good financial role models, kids have a better chance of learning the right lessons. Boy, my kids are in for something. But the same survey also found, right, the same survey also found 25% of those kids believe that the best way to save a million dollars is by becoming famous. Sure what's going on, what the parents are thinking there. Oh yeah, you just got to be famous and you'll send a million bucks. It kind of reminded me of the the things that that we save, uh, the things that we save for at different times of life. You know, when when you're little, you're, you're saving your pocket money for the latest, greatest, newest toy in the shops. Get a bit older. Towards the end of high school, you're saving for the new car. A bit older still, and you're saving for the new house. A little bit older more, and you start to save for uh, the holiday around Australia. A bit older still, and you start to save for retirement and maybe a villa somewhere nice. Now, obviously, it's good to save for the things that we need, isn't it? And it's good to teach younger ones to save well. But I wonder if this morning you've seen how God has saved, how God has saved us into relationship with him. God has saved us to be his people. That God is saving us now from ourselves through the work of the Holy Spirit. And that God will save us to something that's greater and and way more outlasts this place that we live in now. You see, God does save us. God has saved us. God uh, is saving us and God will save us. Not just so that we can accumulate earthly treasures. Uh, Not so that the relationship with God becomes something that we have amongst all the other stuff in this world. Uh, God saves us not to be the Israelites and follow the Ten Commandments in our relationship with him. God saves us not to be a bunch of Ned Flanders showing the world how to be moral, you know, going around sticking up the Ten Commandments up everywhere so we think, oh, that's going to be how people get closer with God in this country. God saves us not so that we have an inner peace or a fuzzy feeling. God saves us not so we can go, yep, relationship with God, tick, I've got that one. What's the next thing I need to get? God saves us not so that we can have some kind of high status among others uh, in our community, among others even here in church. 
God saves us, as we've seen, to be in relationship with him, to show Jesus to the world and invite them into it and look forward to the great eternal promised land. And how about we pray that we would remember that and that as we go out from here that we invite others into the relationship with God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you've saved us. Father, we thank you that you've saved us to be in relationship with you through uh, your son Jesus and his death and resurrection. Father, we thank you that you've saved us to be your people, your treasured possession through Jesus. Father, we thank you that you are saving us now each day to be more like your son through the work of the Holy Spirit living in us. And Father, we know that from all this, uh, the promise is that you will save us into a great promised land, uh, the new creation, the place that lasts an eternity. So Father, help us to take on board uh, your mission of uh, inviting others into that, that great uh, relationship and the hope that's found in your son Jesus. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.